Hey everyone, Drew here with an invitation to a free training that Leela is hosting with friend and colleague Kay Lowry. If you've been wondering what favorite apps and off-bench activities Leela's been using lately, make sure to sign up for her free training on Thursday, November 11th at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. The virtual training secures front row seats to Leela's online and in-person studio to see how she uses off-bench tools to engage and connect with students. Kay Lowry will join Leela to share how Google Slides have transformed her flipped classroom approach for young learners, and she'll share a brand new set of original teaching pieces based on her adorable dachshund named Watson. Sign up and catch all the homespun and tech-savvy action, and come with questions. We'll make sure to save time for them. Space is limited, so sign up early. There will be a replay and a goodie bag packed with freebies and bargains. Head to the show notes at leelavis.com slash keyideas to save your spot, and see you there. Now, on to the episode. Paul Myatt and I met at the MTAC conference in California, a long way from his hometown of Sydney, Australia. I wondered then, and again when he joined us at the 88 Creative Keys workshop a couple of years ago in Colorado, why someone would traipse around the globe to hang out at music conferences. Since then, I've witnessed firsthand Paul's passion for teaching. It just won't stop his inquiring mind. He's constantly in pursuit of learning more, and today our conversation explores his lifetime of adventures and where they have taken him and where they can take you in your teaching. I gotta admit, this chat was good timing for me personally, as I feel like my off-bench activities have lost their edge. Has online teaching stifled your lessons? Since the lockdown of March 2020, I continue with a hybrid studio where some lessons are permanently online and some shift to online because of illness or weather. I have to remind myself that just because I'm in front of a screen doesn't mean that I have to stay in my seat with my seatbelt on. My students and I can get up and move, and all my favorite manipulatives can still work over the airwaves. <laughs> Before we get started, here's more about Paul. Paul Myatt is a passionate music teacher, performer, author, composer, and workshop facilitator. His purpose in life is to continue to learn and help people develop their skills to achieve their goals. His experience extends across music education, business, technology, and fitness. Paul, along with his colleague and best friend, Gillian Erkstein, created Forte School of Music, a 27-year-old thriving network of music schools with nearly 8,000 students across Australia, New Zealand, Britain, and this year in the USA. Paul and Gillian are also the creators of Piano Teaching Success. They help piano teachers engage and motivate their students through whole-body learning, teaching success guides, and backtracking to accelerate their teaching success and earn more. They do this through their online TV show, membership, and courses. Paul's courses help teachers use the whole-body learning approach to engage students, explore creativity, and develop musicians. Whole-body learning is based on the educational ideas and concepts of ORF, Dalcros, and Kodai. Now, here's Leela with Paul. Hello, Paul. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me on, Leela. It's a pleasure. 
all the way from Australia. Wow. Mm -hmm. Let's just jump right in. I want to know something. I was reading through your bio and you use the word eclectic, which jumped out at me. Why choose that word to describe yourself? And how has that helped you land where you are now in your professional career? Well, Lila, the definition of eclectic is deriving ideas, style, or taste from a broad and diverse range of sources. And that is just definitely me. I didn't have a traditional piano teacher upbringing. We lived in the country and I taught myself electro electronic organ uh, for the first couple of years from cassette tapes. Do you remember those oh things? My. Uh, yes, I do. I don't, I think I have one or two left. Wow. I've got okay. anything to play them on. That's no, the I do not. <laughs> so I learned from these tapes and I was deciphering the music and then started playing French horn at school. And I didn't have my first piano lesson until I was 15 um, when I decided to put myself through a grade four piano exam. That's about an intermediate standard. But by that time, I had become the church organist at school. So I was playing organ every Sunday morning. Boy, don't you learn uh, to hone your skills when you play the organ every Sunday morning, Lila? Yes, you do. I... Uh I'm a poster child for that, but also, okay, I, I just have to take a second here because a lot of piano teachers and pianists apologize for not starting piano earlier. You didn't start till age 15. So that's interesting that here, here you are teaching piano and it didn't happen that you started until 15. Did you feel behind or did you just jump in because you loved it so much? Well, I had been learning organ. Um, okay. And so it's a keyboard in instrument, obviously, but yeah. I remember probably about four or five, my parents gave me or bought a keyboard, which was a harmonium. So it was ran oh, on uh -huh. air and it had chords and you could play melody and chords. And it, I sort of, again, taught myself and, you know, I used to play the kitchen table every morning. <laughs> like I was a, a, a fabulous pianist Aww. playing in a band and just begging my parents to buy a piano um, because it was the height of the 70s. They bought me an organ because oh, everyone had organs in the 70s. Of course. I don't know if it's like this for you, Paul, but people ask me if I want an organ all the time in my home. And I always say, no, 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 I'm fine. Uh, I'd rather go to the church and practice. So let, let's talk a little bit about this experience that you had then playing organ. And that meant that you were leading singers, a congregation of a group of people in singing. So all kinds of skills loading up already at an early age of what, 15 through how long did you do that? Oh, for years. I still occasionally do it. Um, wow. And I think, I think I started doing it when I was around 14. I remember my first gig, um, I was playing at a, um, a first paid gig, was playing at a wedding and I practiced so much for this Aww. wedding. And I can remember, I never got nervous playing on Sunday morning, but I could remember sitting there with my hands shaking <laughs> playing it for this wedding because it was, you know, it's a really important day in people's it lives. Is a, you know, and when you miss a note when the bride's coming down, it's kind of a big oh, yeah. deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. <laughs> so you learn to... So, so you learned to play for other people and to listen to them and also be make sure that you kept going because if you made a mistake, that's too late. You've got to keep going when mm -hmm. you're playing for a congregation. But the other thing I learned was chords because I'd get all this music and I'm going, I can't sight read four-part harmony. 
um, instantaneously. So I'd go through and I'd write the chords in every single bar. Mm. And that alone, if everyone would do that for a year, they would be well-versed in chords. So, okay, so take that background and then you started piano and pushed yourself into grade four. And did you pass, by the way? I did. Okay, very good. Yes. And then did you go on to grade five? What happened next? No, I was doing I was doing my sort of diploma on French horn. I went to university, uh-huh. but um, to I trained as a high school music and maths teacher, and and um, my final year prac at university, my supervising maths teacher said, "Great, te- great teacher, made learning fun for the students." But my supervising music teacher said, "Dreadful teacher, made learning fun for the students," and that was <gasps> when I decided. I I don't want to do that (laughs) and got a job playing the piano at David Jones, which is a bit like Macy's um, in the US. (laughs) Oh, my. So that is a career turn. But that didn't last forever. But again, playing at a store every day, Mm. again, Mm. you're building up your skills Mm. in such a unique way. So very eclectic. Yes, not like the normal (laughs) person just in the, the quiet practice room practicing for hours on their own. So, okay. You've got a degree in French horn? Oh, I majored in music teaching, so I was in music music teaching. Got it. Okay. So you decided not to teach music because someone told you you shouldn't, so you went to teach math. Well, no, I actually (laughs) bought a music school. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, that's very logical. um, My father was a a bank manager, and so I had quite a lot of, you know, financial information. If I wasn't working in music, I would have been, you know, doing accounting. I'd... I got um, high distinctions for accounting when I was at, at school and economics. So I just l- quite liked that. And so um, running a music school was, I suppose, the next best thing. And I could be in music all the time. And you know, so- I have to pause and just say kudos and pat your parents on the back for encouraging you to do something like that. I have a young student who is deciding on what career career to embark upon and she feels like she has to do engineering because that's that's where the money is or computers or whatever that's where the money is and it's interesting how you your parents led you to a way that you could make a good living and use your skills as a musician and a mathematician so it's a it's a really neat combination mm, mm. well they certainly were supportive anyway and uh it, it, you know at the age of 21 you know, I owned a music school with a couple of hundred students in it. Wow. And um, it was it was scary <laughs> and yeah. exciting at the same time. So how did um, you grow to 100 students so quickly? Well, we, um, I, I owned a, a, a Yamaha music school and we uh-huh. had, um, and I started working with the other music I school see. owners. So there were students there already. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then your job was to take that school and do something with it. So, Paul, what happened? Well, in 1993, we started Forte School of Music because we left Yamaha due to the reasons that they were, uh, had changed, things had changed and and Mm -hmm. we decided that we'd move on. And so we literally went around the world trying to find an alternative and we couldn't find one. So we started our own. And uh, so my colleague Gillian Erskine and I were the founders of Forte School of Music and 
27 years later, we're still going. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, who is we? It wasn't your mom and dad then. It was Gillian. No, no, no. And Gillian. she was working at the school. And so you branched off, created your own school. And how many students did you start off with then when you started well, your school? Gillian owned her own music school and I owned my own music ah. school. We worked together and because uh, we were on two sides of the river in of one of the cities in Brisbane called Brisbane. And we just built this. We had Gillian's great at marketing and as well as being a very fine pianist. And so we worked together and we built this um, system. And now we have nearly 8,000 students <laughs> and we're in New Zealand, Australia, UK. And just this year we opened in Delaware in the US. Wow. Um, you know, if I could do it all over again, collaborating with another teacher would have been so much fun. So I am so to lucky to mm -hmm. have Gillian um, and we have different skills. And so we have passions in certain areas and we work, we love, we're like brother and sister okay. um, mm -hmm. and we've been together for so long. I'm like her other husband, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So tell me about what you and Gillian have created then in this Forte school. Is that what it's called? Forte school? Forte school of music. Okay. Yes. So I, I want you to talk about your whole body learning because that seems to be the coin phrase that you use when you talk about it. So tell us about that. Well, we in the 90s when we first started out we would we would take children from four to six and what we discovered was parents would put their kids age up so that they could get into lessons with us because we do group lessons oh, okay. and we don't use headphones that all the kids listen to each other and they play together and it's very collaborative and the parents are there and we just had so many students that would come for, for lessons. It was amazing. And my school, both Gillian and my school, had nearly 800 people, kids learning. Wow. In and at one stage, I was teaching 176 kids a week mm. in 21 hours. <laughs> it was hysterical. Oh, my goodness. But I loved it. It was fantastic. But what we were really looking for was uh, um, accelerated learning strategies for kids. Mm. And we found these through a number of different ways, talking about learning styles and also starting children from an earlier age. So we created another program called Jungle Music, which is for zero to threes. Mm. And because uh, we kept having all these mums ring up and say, oh, he's nearly three. And it's like he's... <laughs> 18, 19 months old, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, they're like, yeah, not quite. No. <laughs> um, so we would, we would um, bring these kids into these early childhood music classes and they just loved it and the kids loved it and the parents loved it. And we discovered that the earlier we started um, musical activities, the better the outcome was when kids were learning piano uh, when they hit oh, five. I'm sure. And we, we found that the kids, it just taught itself. The, the, the lessons just taught themselves because the kids were so musical. But they also, all the research was then starting about the benefits of learning music. And we were like going, well, we've been seeing this for years as many uh -huh. piano teachers yeah. are like that. And so that's why we, we went sort of lower. And then we also discovered that, the use of movement and singing was really important. And, of course, that's now 
um, proven by neuroscientists. I know you've read Dr. Collins's The Musical Advantage, and I was oh, lucky yes. enough to be interviewed by to interview her on our um, Piano Teaching Success TV show. Mm -hmm. And I asked her about teaching using the principles of Orphan Kadai, which is what we use in whole body learning and what we've used for the last 27 years at Forte. And she explained that for a music education um, uh, approach to have cognitive benefits, there needs to be an instrument, there needs to be singing, and there needs to be movement. And most of the time, this never happens in a piano studio. And so we need to create this enriched learning environment in all our studios. And that's basically what we created at Forte was an enriched learning environment. So that students will have the opportunity to listen, sing, move, but most importantly, to interact because mm. children learn much more when they're actually working together and interacting together. And so, you know, a quality piano studio these days has much more than just the piano and the sheet music. Mm -hmm. Can I just start all over? <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. You know, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm just, you know, all your ideas sound so good and I'd love to go back to group lessons. And I just don't know if I have the mental energy to do, do that. But I do want to know some of the things that I could add in my lessons, even if I am not teaching necessarily in a group. And, and what could our listeners do? In, in order to start thinking of that whole body approach. Can you give us some tips? Because you're, you're the guru of it all, but none, not all of us can do, we don't have the 27 years of experience. We don't have huge group classes or we, don't, we may not teach in groups. So how can we start taking advantage of what science is telling us about how students learn? Well, Leela, it's actually very, very easy. It's about getting off the bench. Mm. And when you start to get kids singing and moving, the memories actually go into the right place in their brain. And I was part of a PhD study with Dr. Robin Staveley, um, who came and videoed all my classes on neuropedagogy around mm. music education. And um, she was, um, I would be doing things for, disciplinarian reasons and um you know just to keep the kids occupied yeah <laughs> for example right. uh, you know they do a phrase and then they would move to the next piano they would stand up do a phrase and they do this along with a backing track mm -hmm. and she said do you know what you're doing you're actually getting much more effective memory because the children are doing the same thing but it, they're doing it in a different place and that actually helps memory so just in the same way in a private one-on-one -on -one lesson you could do the same phrase all the way up a piano it's mm. doing the same thing but it's in a slightly different um place and mm -hmm. it really improves memory say that again it's, about the memory it's about finding putting things in the right place in the brain putting the things in the right place in the brain so that it can retrieve it easily Absolutely. or more easily okay mm -hmm. yes Mm, and it, it's all to do with the hippocampus and mm. which there's all these new studies coming out, which I want to find out about. Um, yeah. But I was just speaking to Robin last week and she was telling me why this happens and it's to do with the hippocampus. But also it's also to do with the different senses. So when you use a backing track for something um, so that they're listening, so you're engaging the ear, that 
auditory experience brings memories back very, very quickly. And I'm sure you would remember a song or something like that, you know, from your wedding. You would, every time you hear the song that was played at your wedding, you would instantly remember you walking Mm -hmm. down the aisle. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for everyone. There'll be a song or that auditory sense that will pick up something that, that will give them a memory. And that's how, why it's so important to use music in teaching music rather than just looking at dots. And Dr. Collins talks about that in the book too, about how our brains really are an iTunes library. And mm. when we hear something, our brain is quickly going through the files. Mm, heard that before, heard that before. Oh, there we go. That's it. And it's amazing how fast our brains can do that. Mm, mm, exactly. So if you were to take an example of a very well-known piano piece called um, Bergmuller's Arabesque, ah, yes. and I think every piano teacher has probably learnt that. It's a and studio so, hit all the time. It's a hit. Ex- mm-hmm. It is. This strategy can be used in any studio, whether you're teaching group or private. So the first thing you need to do is analyse the music. Well, we know it's in A minor. And we know it uses chords. So the first thing I would be doing would be teaching an A minor scale. I have a question for you. Do you tell your student that it's an A minor? Do you have them discover it? Do you have them figure that out yourself, themselves? How do you go about that? Um, all, all of the above. <laughs> depends uh-huh. on the student. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> it depends on the student. And I would, I love discovery learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that when students take ownership of their own learning, it's just so more powerful. And mm-hmm. in fact, your recent uh, podcast, is it Repair? Is it? Yes, no. Feedback oh. Repair. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just, what you were saying in that just resonated with me so strongly mm-hmm. and I really love it. And uh, because, and that's what I do, um, possibly not so structured in the way that you talked about, but I think it's really important to actually get the children involved in their learning. My goal in teaching is to teach myself out of a job. Oh, definitely. So if my kids can learn how to do it, that's the best. Mm -hmm. Okay. I interrupted you. Keep going now. So we'll play a scale, something like. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I was playing chords with uh, my hand and I would then do it again um, with my, put the chord in my right hand and the scale in my left hand. Which is brilliant because that's how we play piano. We rarely do the same thing in both hands. Exactly. (laughs) But it would be so much more fun if you had a backing track to play along with. That's true. I'm sold, especially when those fun instruments come in, because that just lights up their enthusiasm even more than I'm sure. Exactly. And I've got 
one of, you know, we always want our students to read as well. And I love our friend Samantha Coates's rote mm -hmm. repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, it's I've as used that I. with my stu mm -hmm. students for a um, couple of years now. And but I have been the concept of that I've been doing forever um, because I just need needed to break down the pieces, especially when they're a sea of black. And don't right. our kids go? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's too hard. It's too black. Yes. yes. <laughs> so what we have is called a fast track skeleton. So these are aren't original pieces. These are pieces of different composers. So I'm I've actually made up a little pack for your listeners of our fast track skeletons. Oh nice. Which um and in the fast track skeleton one it just comes with the left hand chords so that your student can play those chords along with the backing track. Mm, smart. Um, so in whole body learning, we start with listening with purpose. So, mm. we, of course, we need something to listen to that might mm -hmm. be a YouTube clip or um, it might be the teacher playing and or it could be a backing track. So this is the backing track that we have for Arabesque. And you know what that would do is it would fix that second line. There's always that little rhythmic syncopation that people want to rush through or ignore. And this takes care of that right away because they're listening. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm. So the first activity I would get them to do is just pat, tap the beat. Okay. So when you mm -hmm. they would tap the beat, then they would, um, in the B section, they would uh, do the da -ga -da -ga -dum, Now you could do that on a drum i have a jambe that i use or mm -hmm. um i also like chopsticks and an upside down ice cream container or a bucket nice. yeah. makes a really great drum mm -hmm. so while we're listening with purpose so that's we're exploring um singing moving playing or improvising but we're also identifying certain things so it might be rhythm patterns pitch contour dynamic difference structure phrasing harmony style texture Articulation, tonality, notation, tempo, or meter and pulse. I hope I haven't left anything out. Yeah. <laughs> and my guess is you don't ask for them to listen to everything at the same time. Absolutely not. Yes. So there might be, so you're focusing. So this is what you as the teacher have to think mm -hmm. about before you start. And uh, so in this particular one, I'm focusing on the, the, the pulse, mm -hmm. the rhythm patterns, and then they're listening for um, at, to the harmony because that's what we'll be moving towards, playing the harmony first, um, and the articulation, 
and then of course the tempo as well because you know right. it's quite a fast pace it is what's interesting too is i love how crystal clear all the 16th notes are and you know yes. how kids love to rush those and so la, la, la. They, <laughs> yes when they have that really nice modeling going on for them that can really help them clear things up mm, mm, mm. and so i've got a, a couple of things for your show notes page I'll oh, nice. give you this, which is the listening with purpose mm. um, strategy. And you can do that with any piece. Mm -hmm. You can think about how you're going to start and think about the strategy. And so that's what I do. This whole body learning is what I do in uh, a number of courses and things um, around you know, teaching, trying to teach differently, you know, and right. as a... As a British, uh, one of the many British colonies that uh, we are in Australia, we have piano exams inflicted on us for the last 150 I've years. I've heard about those. Yeah, we don't have those in the States quite like you do. But that is all the rage over there. And it seems like you're trying to recover from them. But they're not well, going away, are they? No, they're not okay. going away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure that we need to recover from them because I, I quite like the concept of, okay. you know, and it's a it's a structured path to go along. Mm -hmm. What is bad is when that is the only outcome. Mm -hmm. And I hear so many times people, oh, I got up to grade four, but I don't remember anything. Yeah. And you think, why? Why did you do that? You know, why don't you do that? And it's because of the way that we, they've been taught. It's because they've taught been taught by reading only it was the ends been. and not the process or the means that they That's were going right. for hmm. and it's not until you embody the learning that you actually mm. start to learn it Ooh, and like so that. the embodiment of the learning which is through movement and singing and then taking it to the piano and then reading that's when you're going to have a, a much more long-term success so it sounds like you have established a school. Well, it doesn't sound, it's obvious that you've established a school. It's been around for a long time and you like to teach students, but you also like to teach teachers. And so you are making yourself available and creating courses to help teachers think through this process of whole body learning. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I've been running courses in how to teach the exam repertoire um, in Australia and New Zealand and the UK and Asia. Um, the Associated Board, um, you've probably heard of, the ABRSM, uh, Trinity College, um, which is another London-based exam board, and Australian Music Examination Board. And next year, I'll be doing the Royal Conservatory, which is the Canadian-based nice. yes. uh, one. But I'm very keen to do a, a course for beginners and teaching beginners using whole body learning, which um, might be fun to do with you at some stage. Ooh. I think that might be fun, Paul. <laughs> well, it's it's been an experience talking to you, Paul, and I feel like that is what you offer your students is an experience when they come to play piano. They're not just coming to play the piano. So you have encouraged and inspired me. I have to, you know, I think all of us have kind of just been settling. And now I want to do more. I want to add more. Uh, and I'm thinking that other people are probably feeling the same way. And it's interesting that you are doing this in a group setting and you only teach in groups. Is that correct? 
I only teach in groups, yes. yes. Yeah. And um, I have usually maximum of eight students and they're all sitting at a digital piano mm-hmm. and they're all learning effectively. But what amazes me is, you know, I just from year to year, the students come come in and, and then we just go through the year and next year they just rebook. I had one mum say to me recently, we were only trying piano out and seven years later, all of my kids are learning piano <laughs> and my child is doing clarinet and the second one's doing flute and <laughs> they just love it and they love coming to lessons mm. and I'm astounded because this was definitely not my experience of learning piano when I was a kid. Well, and it definitely didn't follow what your music teacher said back in the day when he said you were a horrible teacher because you made things too much fun. So you mm. have just proved him wrong. <laughs> so well done, Paul. It's It's been great to chat with you. Where can we find out more about you and what you have to offer? At pianoteachingsuccess.com. And that's where uh, Gillian and I hang out. <laughs> okay. And so that's where we can also learn more about your school, Forte Music. And you also have now branched out into the States. I believe you told me, yes. So your fingers are finding their way over the pond. And congratulations on that. It's just remarkable what you have built. And it's all built on fun and science and music, which we all need in this world. So congratulations. And thank you so much, Paul, for joining me today. Oh, I do have one more thing before I say goodbye, though. I usually like my guest to offer a teaching tip to go. So I'm putting you on the spot. So if you need to think a minute. My teaching tip to go would be to use the voice more and move. Get your kids moving and get them singing. Um, And they can sing. Every person can sing. Nobody is tone deaf. And if they won't sing, just tell them to say. Because the more senses they use to do something, the more effective the learning is. So, for example, you've got a student who won't say, uh, sing, but say, okay, so say the letters. So C-E-G or Mm C-E-G whilst they're playing. And I guarantee you within a month, nearly every single one of them will be singing them. Well, I like that. And I think that's the place to start. If they're feeling uncomfortable, give them the bottom line at least say if you can't sing because that's that was going to be my question well paul how do you get those kids to sing when they don't want to sing so thank you for that fabulous tip all right well we will leave it there i know you and i could go on and on but it's been fabulous talking with you and thank you so much for joining me thank you leela listening with a purpose if you take away nothing more than that This episode is well worth your time. Before you introduce the next new piece in the lesson, determine at least one thing your student must listen for and even move to as you play the piece yourself or play a video on YouTube or play a backing track like Paul. If you aren't sure of what to isolate, head to the show notes where Paul shares a graphic with oodles of elements for listening with a purpose. And Paul shares videos backing tracks, and even his fast track skeleton for arabesque. All the files you need to teach arabesque with his whole body learning approach. This is a serious freebie not to miss. 
This is Leela Viss, and thanks for listening. I'll see you in the trenches, and let's connect on Instagram. Find me at Leela Creative Piano Teacher.